0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Jonas Pizzito, all ready for this? on WCPT 820.
1: Hello, and thank you for joining me this Tuesday, November 29th. Uh, I really appreciate you being here today. There's a lot going on. We have a lot of really interesting guests, and there's a lot of news. I know you're shocked by that. It's like, you know, I might as well just record that and just play it on a loop every day. Uh, can you remember the last time like nothing was going on? Maybe, maybe as we get closer to the holidays, do you think then maybe things will settle down at that point? I mean, we do have our lawmakers in Springfield for a veto session. We have a Congress meeting for a lame duck session to try to get a lot done. We have a runoff election for Senate uh, in Georgia next week. So. My guess is that pretty much through and past, well, of course, once we get past the holidays, everybody's going to be gearing up to see what happens in the Chicago mayor's race and the Aldermanic races. So, you know, maybe I'll just put that. It's a busy news day on a, on a loop and I'll I have the board ops just hit a button. It's started my show. It's a busy news day. It's a busy news day. So, um, in the in the Wall Street Journal today bold brave republican politician mike pence says trump should apologize for the dinner he had with kanye west also known as ye and nick fuentes everyone's favorite white supremacist Uh, Donald Trump, of course, claiming what? Who? I don't know. I just invited Ye. Oh, and not just, not just invited him, but you know, Ye's been going through a lot of bad stuff. He's been losing a lot of business. You know, all these companies are dropping him. So I agreed to have dinner with him so that I could give him some advice. This is the guy. We still haven't seen the full tax returns, but the forms that have been released so far, this is a guy who loses money every year and one year lost, or at least one year, maybe more, he lost over a billion dollars. So this is the guy who was going to give yay advice. I have only seen this news tidbit reported in one place, so I don't know for sure whether or not it is reliable, but somebody reported that during this dinner... You know, Kanye recently declared that he was running for president in 2024. Remember when he briefly flirted with running for president in 2020? I don't know. It lasted a few weeks. Uh, He's announced he's running in 2024. And supposedly at this dinner, he asked Donald if he would be Kanye's running mate. He asked Donald if Donald would be his running mate. And the, the source that was reporting that said Mr. Trump was not... Happy about that and became very insulting to Kanye. And for some reason, started insulting Kim Kardashian. Like that was going to hurt Kanye's feelings. I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not, but I, there's a part of me that really hopes it is. So Mike Pence, the big, bold Republican. Whoa. Who did everything in his power to try to find a way to capitulate to Trump on January 6, and when he couldn't find any way to do what Trump wanted, stood up to him. Has <sighs> um, he's saying that you know Donald was this President Trump was wrong to give a white nationalist, nationalist, an anti semite, and a Holocaust denier a seat at the table, and I think he should apologize for it. He should denounce those individuals and their hateful rhetoric without qualification. Well, he should, but he isn't. Um, One of the commentators, one of the reporters on um, MSNBC, I think, nailed it when they said, look, he's not going to come out. And condemn Nick Fuentes as far as he's gone is to say, well, he didn't realize Nick Fuentes was going to be there because Kanye was the only one invited, which doesn't really ring very true. I mean, when you've got Secret Service protection, you know, who's coming? And if somebody shows up unannounced, I don't know. I don't know if that holds water. Um, But as the reporter on MSNBC pointed out, Donald Trump is never going to rebuke or repudiate anybody who supports him and nick fuentes is a completely reprehensible human being who is beyond a donald trump toady you know i sort of vaguely knew who nick fuentes was but um rachel maddow presented a couple of clips of him there's an organization called people for the american way and they have a what they call the right-wing watch project, where they keep an eye on far-right people, far-alt-right folks and what they do and what they say. And they've got lots of little clips from the lovely and talented Nick Fuentes saying just the most incredibly reprehensible thing. I'm going to share a couple of these. Um, first, he was talking about the fact that we need to return this country to a dictatorship. We need a dictatorship. Um, you know, all these, he admits that all these things, there's lots of ideas he reels off and he says, yeah, they're really popular with people, but you know, he doesn't like them. They shouldn't be popular. And that's why there should be a dictatorship so that people can be forced to believe what we, meaning he believes. Listen to this
2: abortion's popular sodomy's popular you know being gay is popular being a feminist is popular sex out of wedlock is popular contraceptives it's all popular that's all that's not to say it's good that's not to say I like that popular means the people support it which they do and uh and it sucks and it is what it is. But that's why we need uh, dictatorship. <laughs> that's unironically why we need to get rid of all that. We need to take control of the media or take control of the government and force the people to believe what we believe.
1: We need to force the people to believe what we believe. I, you know, had a vague knowledge that Nick Fuentes was an off the wall white supremacist. But he's even worse than I thought, Uh And some other sound clips from the people for the American way. Nick Fuentes says that what we need in this country is a Catholic Taliban, a Catholic Taliban. Listen to this.
2: Here's the pathway. We have one more election where white people can make the decision. The white people got to make the right decision. And then Trump's got to get in there and never leave. That, to me, at this point, is a pathway. It's time to shut up. Elect Trump one more time and then stop having elections. We have got to talk about the fundamentals of our worldview and what it would look like to build a society based on our distinct worldview. It looks like a society where women don't have the right to vote, and it looks like a society where m- boys and girls get married as teenagers and start having kids and they don't use birth control and they don't use contraceptives and they have big families and a high birth rate and it looks like women wearing veils at church and it looks like women not being in the workforce banning gay marriage is back on the menu banning sodomy is back on the menu banning contraceptives is back on the menu And basically, we're having something like Taliban rule in America in a good way. We're having something like a Catholic Taliban rule in America.
1: How does that sound? You know, women having to wear veils in church, no more contraception, getting married as teenagers and having as many babies as you can. I mean, good God, that's who Nick Fuentes is. That's who Donald Trump had dinner with at Mar-a-Lago. And at least as of what I saw this morning, still has not apologized for it, still has not um rebuked what Mr. Fuentes stands for and what he espouses. Because, you know, Nick Fuentes worships at the altar of Trump. And that's all that's necessary. So Mike Pence... I know you've now know what a reprehensible guy Nick Fuentes is. Mike Pence taking the brave stance that Donald Trump shouldn't have had him to dinner and should apologize. Even Kevin McCarthy, the invertebrate, is saying that it was a terrible, terrible thing. I guess you know it's bad when Kevin McCarthy is, uh, (laughs) or at least maybe when Kevin McCarthy says it's a bad thing, you know that that's a popular opinion because Kevin McCarthy only reflects popular opinion. Other news, local news of importance. You know, we were waiting to see whether or not Alderman Ed Burke would file petitions. You know, yes, he is... (laughs) Facing a federal indictment. And yes, he's got his hands full with that. But, you know, it wouldn't be the first Chicago politician. Well, hell, they run for office after they get convicted. Why wouldn't they run for office while they were simply battling it out in court? Anyway, uh, David Orr is going to be here a little bit later. We're going to talk to him in uh, more detail about what's going on with Ed Burke. Um also want to give you a heads up. Uh, Later today, we're going to talk with David Hochberg. Uh, There's been a lot of stuff going on with with what the Fed is talking about, inflation and whether or not it's under control. And there's even some talk that in 2024, maybe the Fed will bring interest rates down. Uh, Lots going on. So if you have a mortgage question, David Hochberg is going to be here in our final hour. So uh, let's take a break. We're going to come back and talk with Representative LaShawn Ford right after this.
0: Take Jonas Bezito, live, local, and progressive, with you on the go by using the TuneIn app on your phone. Just search for WCPT 820
1: wcpta 820 is proud to introduce Heartland Signal, a multimedia newsroom of WCPT 20 Heartland Signal is dedicated to providing news coverage for the 2022 midterms in the Midwest region. At heartlandsignal.com, you can find all the day's news and views to keep you informed and up to date. If you love listening to WCPT 20 then you'll love getting your news from heartlandsignal.com. Visit us there today.
0: You're listening to WCPT 820, because facts matter. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Every (laughs) weekday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. on WCPT 820.
1: Oh, by the way, today is that big uh, football, soccer game, the World Cup. The United States is playing Iran. Um, I checked a minute ago. Um, I don't know if you care, (laughs) Uh, but the United States is up one nil, one to nothing. Um, A lot of people are saying, I I heard one pundit, uh, a journalist who was interviewed by CNN, a journalist who actually had been imprisoned by the Iranian government at one point in time. And uh, he said that he thought that even though everybody is obviously in this country, um, the obvious team to root for would be the United States that really it would be wonderful if Iran could make it to the, all the way to the finals. Um, as you know, the Iranian players refused to sing the national anthem when they played a few days ago, and uh, the government of Iran threatened their families. It was, uh, they were all called together for a team meeting, and they were told that their families back home in Iran would be in trouble. If they continued to do anything to um, make it look like they supported the protests in Iran, Uh, let's um, let's switch gears away from soccer. I can't even believe I'm talking about soccer, Um, but there are political ramifications. Let's go back to to politics. One of our favorite people to talk about politics with is Representative LaShawn Ford, who represents the 8th District. LaShawn, how are you today?
3: Very good, Joe. Thanks for having me. What a beautiful day to be on with you.
1: Yes. You know, when we spoke before, we didn't really have time to get into some of the work that you are doing to fight the opioid crisis in Illinois. We kind of got to it at the very end, and we promised we would pick that thread up again. So... Uh, that's what I'd like to talk to you about today.
3: Yeah, I think that's great, John. Thanks for um, having me and having this topic as one of the things that we're going to talk about. You know, you know, there was a big um, settlement that I wanted to make sure that the people of um, your listeners understood that Illinois received a seven hundred and fifty million dollar um, windfall. From the opioid settlement to fund treatment prevention programs in Illinois, that was from a twenty six billion dollars um, Johnson uh, and Johnson's um, lawsuit that was um, ruled, and states were able to get their share of twenty six billion dollars. And Illinois got seven hundred sixty million of that.
1: So, what does that money go for?
3: So the governor created an action plan to spend the money for things uh, like treatment prevention programs and, um, you know, to do everything that we can to prevent fatal overdoses. Because, as you know, with the fentanyl hitting the streets uh, more now than ever before, the death rates are on the rise from the deadly, potent Um, Opioid fentanyl, and And so we have to do something. I, I would almost guarantee that everyone that listens to your show would know someone, or know of someone that may have died from a fatal overdose because it's a international issue. It's not just an issue that's facing people in Chicago or in Illinois. It's an international issue. That um, is impacting um, the role.
1: Well, Sean, let me make sure that I understand this. I'm obviously a lot of times people get addicted to opioids when they first get a prescription for a legitimate reason, either they've had an accident or maybe they've had surgery. And in some people, uh, taking opioids really just triggers a kind of a physiological hunger that they just can't get away from, and if I know the a, a lot of what happens with the overdoses is when there's fentanyl added to the mix. Is fentanyl used when when somebody runs out of their prescription, can't get anymore, and they start buying it illicitly, illegally? Is fentanyl used to to cut it to make it go further? Uh, how does the fentanyl get in there?
3: Well, the fentanyl now um, is a is being used as a street drug. When when you talk about people that may have been. Um, addicted to um, pain meds, and then after the prescription is filled and they complete the prescription that the doctor gave them, the doctor would then say, we don't believe you um, need any more pain meds. You should be okay. You should need the controlled substance. Well, there's been evidence that some people have become addicted to the um, prescription meds. And after becoming addicted to it and the doctor that prescribes the um, prescription drug cuts them off, well, the addiction has set in and then they go and they find opioids on the street. And now when they find that opioid on the street, heroin, it's now laced with fentanyl or sometimes it's just pure fentanyl and people um, die from um, from the potency of fentanyl in the drug. And so, yes, some people are addicted to pain meds. That um, starts off as a prescription. But some people um, actually start off using fentanyl or opioids laced with fentanyl. And um, that's how they become addicted. So it's a combination. Yeah. But, you know, according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, between January 2021 and January 2022 in Illinois, the statewide epidemic led to nearly 4,061 preventable deaths from opioids. That's a serious 12.63 increase from the prior year. And and that means that because of the increased supply of potent fentanyl in the streets, Um, we see more lives that continue to be lost without us coming up with a real strategy to um, end the fatal overdoses in Illinois.
1: Now is um, our opioids fentanyl, the kind of overdose that can be reversed with Narcan and does this money provide um, the wherewithal to make sure that every police car, every ambulance every kind of first responder is is able to access Narcan?
3: Yeah, I'm glad you said that because in Illinois, um, the Department of Public Health, there is a standing order. Everyone that's listening could go to a uh, pharmacy and just ask for a Narcan kit, Naloxone. You don't need a prescription anymore. You just need your insurance card or you could buy it. And this is actually a lifesaver. You actually will save a person's life if you administer Narcan if there's an overdose. There are two kinds, a nasal spray and you can do an injection in the leg. And so everyone should have Narcan available in case they see someone overdosing. And of course, the West Side Opioid Arrow and Task Force do training um, for people if they want to be trained on how to use um, the um, drug reversal, life saving um, um, drug, Narcan. They're happy to help. You know, it's amazing, uh, Joan. The inventor of Narcan actually was. Um, Driving from his nationalization, he was becoming a citizen. He became a citizen, and he was driving with his family after becoming a U.S. citizen in New York, I believe. And he saw a person overdosing, and he got out of his car, and he actually saved the person's life because he had Narcan. And so if anybody wants to do something good, they should definitely – Keep Narcan available in case they see someone um, overdosing to prevent it from being fatal. And you're right about the law enforcement. The law enforcement have joined in and they actually carry Narcan in their cars and they've been trained to reverse an overdose to prevent it from being fatal.
1: LaShawn, I want to talk more about this with you. We need to take a break. I'm talking to State Representative LaShawn Ford. We are talking about the opioid crisis and some federal money that's coming to the state of Illinois that's going to be used to expand our response to that. We'll talk about this more right after a break.
2: This is WCPT 820, where you can hear The Stephanie Miller Show every weekday, 8 to 11 a.m., because facts matter.
0: This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: And I'm speaking with State Representative LaShawn Ford. We've been talking about the opioid crisis and the fact that Illinois is now going to be getting a lot of federal money to help out with treatment programs and prevention programs. We've been talking about Narcan or Naloxone, which I didn't realize, LaShawn, that you could just basically ask for it over the counter, um, to keep it around. If I'm not mistaken, didn't the Chicago Department of Public Health, uh, Dr. Allison Arwadi, I think when it was Lollapalooza time, I think that she, um, made a very public statement about the fact that, uh, you were, you would be able to request from the Department of Public Health um, a kit. I don't know whether it was the injection or whether it was the nasal spray, but she was, um, asking people to pick up, um, these treatments for opioid overdoses because even she's, you know, the, the argument was even if you're going to Lollapalooza and you have absolutely no plans to do drugs yourself, I mean, if somebody collapses in front of you, somebody who's clearly having a drug overdose, you really can save their life. Wasn't that the case? She gave them out for free.
3: She gave out the Naloxone kits to people going to Lala. And, you know, what the mayor and uh, the health department and already has done, they have made the kits available at libraries so you can actually go into certain libraries and be trained and actually pick up a Narcan kit for free in the city of Chicago. Still? Still, yes. And that's an that's a excellent um, uh, value add to um, the city. You know, in Illinois, there's been already almost 3,500 deaths that we know of that could have been prevented. And the numbers are on the rise. And when you think about it, if you remember, Joan, there were some teenagers that went out to a party, and they, there was about three or four of them that overdosed off of fentanyl because someone put fentanyl in the drugs or something that they were using. They had no intention on um, using a, a potent drug it was found that whoever supplied them with something actually gave them the poison of fentanyl. Uh. And so I'd say that to say our young people have to be very, very careful when they're um, having parties and parties and, and clubs should have fentanyl available in it. I'm sorry, clubs should have the um, naloxone available because fentanyl may be in those clubs. And if you are owner of a restaurant or a club, you want to have that. In your place to help reverse a drug overdose
1: is um, I, I assume there's no you know ordinance requiring it. Have um, have there been inquiries? Are there businesses that have sought out to keep this sort of thing, this naloxone, on hand?
3: Yeah, there are some businesses that, that um, I know that there are some bars and clubs that do it voluntarily. There was a bill in Springfield that was trying to, um, you know, make it a law that if you had a a concert or something, a certain amount of people in your concert, that you had to have it handy. That bill did not pass, Um, but I think that we have to make sure that we continue to push this Narcan, Naloxone, in the city, in the state, so that people have it. It's really one of the most, it's a miracle drug that is the difference between life and death. And You know, they actually have safe consumption sites in Vancouver and in places in Europe where people actually um, go into these safe consumption sites and Narcan is available for them in case people overdose so that they don't have to use be um, drug in alleys or in um, in hallways and be found dead because they were struggling from a substance use disorder and ultimately died alone when they couldn't be in a safe place.
1: In addition to the distribution and, and making people understand about naloxone and uh, understanding how easy it is to have some on hand, you, what are some of the other uh, treatment programs or other programs that are going to be funded with this new money?
3: So that's uh, the governor and the Department of Public Health working with the city and Cook County plan to use the funds for preventable things and mental health. Because when you talk about people struggling with a substance use disorder, you talk about MAT. That's the medical assistant treatment program. A lot of people that struggle with a substance use disorder, they may be struggling from underlying conditions or they may be using just because they enjoy the, um, high, but we found that people that struggle, many of them want to quit, but they can't quit because this drug is so addictive. And so the goal is to get people in a, MAT program and what happens in MAT program? There's a drug called Suboxone or Vivitrol, where people could take in place of the drug, in place of the heroin street drug. So if I'm a uh, person struggling with a substance use disorder, mm-hmm. I can go see my primary doctor, and my doctor could prescribe me Suboxone.
1: And you know, a, of, uh, a long time ago, uh, sorry to interrupt, um, mm-hmm. not this most recent election cycle where Jonathan Jackson became the new congressperson, but the previous time when Bobby Rush ran for reelection, one of the people that ran against him was a young woman by the name of Sarah Gad. And I interviewed yeah. her and she was um, she had been a medical student. She got into a car accident they gave her painkillers she became addicted her whole life unraveled and until she found this what did you say it was Sub- suboxone? suboxone yes yes and she was like this stuff saved my life she said it wasn't just that i wanted to get high with opioids she said M- i felt like i would die my body was telling me you will die if you don't get more of this drug she said it's not like a, a it's not always like a choice and she said the Suboxone saved her life.
3: Yeah, it's it's a replacement and it's legal and, and you're under the care of a doctor and you will live a normal life. People that take Suboxone will not overdose. If you have a family member out there, someone that's struggling with a substance use disorder, heroin, they should talk to a family doctor or they should go. They should go see someone that treats people with substance use disorders, because one, they don't have to struggle with a street drug addiction. Two, they could be put on a program so that they can one, be treated for their substance use disorder and get mental health support. And if they're struggling for housing, possibly help them with their housing So it's a combination. Illinois has a great strategy and a plan to help people that struggles with a substance use disorder. We just have to get them into treatment.
1: Is Do we have this money now or is it coming in the new year?
3: No, we have the money now. And in fact, the um, governor has announced this action plan and the money is available now to help people and to treat people and to make sure that they're able to get the mental health support, to make sure that they're able to get the support that they need to substitute the illegal drug with medicine like Suboxone or Vivitrol. It is a wonder uh, drug for people that have an addiction to um, heroin, and I've seen it turn people's lives around. People that use street drugs actually have a different lifestyle than people that use Suboxone, people mm. that use Suboxone or Vivitrol or, um, any other drug that treats the, um, heroin addiction, they actually go to work. They actually live a normal life.
1: Um, LaShawn, I've got to to interrupt this right now. Uh, Governor Pritzker is at the podium, and he's supposed to be making a statement about uh, the state of uh, Illinois' finances. Um, Thank you. I know that you had limited time today. Thanks for being with us. Let's uh, switch over now live to Governor Pritzker.
4: Replacing Illinois' strong economic trajectory. Republicans and Democrats intend to deliver a historic state investment of $1.8 billion, $1.36 billion of which will pay off the remaining balance of federal advances, and $450 million of which will serve as an interest-free loan to the Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund. The entire interest-free loan, will be repaid from the fund over the next 10 years, and all of those repayments will go straight to the state's rainy day fund. This bipartisan agreement eliminates the final portion of the $4.5 billion of debt forced upon our state during the pandemic. It will save Illinois businesses hundreds of millions of dollars over the next decade. And it will save taxpayers $20 million in interest costs that would otherwise have been due next September. The resolution of this matter alleviates a burden looming over the heads of workers and businesses alike. And crucially, it's been done with no reduction to the standard number of weeks of unemployment benefits and with no reduction to the amount of benefits a person can claim. We've restored our unemployment system to good working order after the most serious economic downturn since the Great Depression. Just three weeks ago, we had an election in which it seemed like candidates from each party could agree on absolutely nothing. But one of the great things that Illinois has going for it is that when everyone commits to bipartisanship, on a good day we can find common ground despite our differences. Today is one of those good days. Republicans and Democrats have come together to deliver for working families and for employers. I want to commend our business and labor partners, represented here today by President and CEO of the Illinois Retail Merchants Association, Rob Carr, and Pat Devaney on behalf of the AFL-CIO, for their perseverance and their leadership. And I want to thank Deputy Governor Andy Menar and IDS Director Kristen Richards and the rest of our team, along with our partners in the General Assembly. This is the strongest UI trust fund replenishment in memory. And it was achieved through the agreed bill process that for decades has been successful in getting big things done for the people of Illinois. Meanwhile, good things have been happening for Illinois over the last six months. We've achieved historic record-low unemployment claims. Payrolls are up. Our state's GDP surpassed a trillion dollars for the first time ever. And we've employed 770,000 more people since the bottom of the pandemic recession. Job listings in Illinois are about twice the number of people who are looking for jobs. It's a tight labor market, and Illinoisans are back to work. Remember, it was just two years ago that the United States skyrocketed to record unemployment as our economy was flipped on its head. The Illinois Department of Employment Security paid out over $38 billion in federal and state benefits to those who desperately needed help, the kind of emergency the unemployment system was never built to handle whether at the federal level or for any one of the 50 states. And in the face of the emergency, like most states, Illinois borrowed federal funds to ensure no workers would fall through the cracks. When we received the one-time federal ARPA dollars, we paid down $2.7 billion of the UI Trust Fund debt. With our economic and labor market recovery, earlier this fall I announced an additional $450 million dollar payment on that debt, and today we complete the mission of extinguishing this debt. Government is at its best when we work together to solve problems, and thanks to leaders in business and labor and bipartisanship in the legislature, Illinois is stronger today. Thank you, and with that, I'd like to turn it over to Senate President Don Harmon. Thank you, Governor. Uh, Thank you for your leadership on this issue. Governor Pritzker
1: telling us um, about the money's coming in and where it's going. Um, Remember, our credit rating as a state was downgraded multiple times under Bruce Rauner. Uh, We went without a budget for so long that small businesses that worked with the state actually had to close up. Uh, So we are slowly climbing back out of that hole. And uh, Governor Pritzker, rightly so explaining that uh, some of the money coming in these days is paying down our debts even more. We are going to take a real quick break. We're going to be back with more right after this. There's
0: no excuse to miss Joan Esposito. It's number one on my stereo. Live, local, and progressive. You can listen to her daily at WCPT820.com on your computer or phone. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. You know what time it is?
5: Hello. Can you hear
0: me? It's time to return to the best progressive talk show in Chicago. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, now on WCPT 820.
1: If uh, I am reading social media correctly... Um, The United States is still up 1-0 over Iran in the World Cup Finals. Um, uh, A a game that is being watched, not just by soccer or football fans around the world, but for being watched by those interested in politics. The captain of the American team gave an interview before today's game, and he said, you know, we understand what those players from Iran are going through. We empathize with them. And um, even though, you know, they are our competitors, we are also supporting them, too, because, of course, uh, the players were trying to show their support with the protests in Iran. After their first victory or before their first game, they refused to sing the Iranian national anthem. They stood there in silence. And um, and uh, Iran took notice of that. They made it clear to the players that um, bad things would happen to their family members back in Iran if they continued to protest so openly. In other local news, we were waiting. We were watching day by day because he made no announcements as the petitions were being filed for running for alderperson. person. Well, Yesterday was the last day to get him in, and Ed Burke did not file petitions. A couple of, a lot of the newsletters that I read in the morning that follow local politics are quoting Ed Burke, who once said that there are only three ways to exit the Chicago City Council. The ballot box, the jury box, or the pine box. I guess he discovered a fourth way, and that's simply not to file petitions, not to file signatures to be on the ballot. He has been a member of the city council for more than 50 years. Good grief. Running for office for 50 years. Can you imagine that? A lot of um, older people are saying that he will probably go down in Chicago history as the most influential and the most powerful alder person in the history of the city council. Um, why is he not pursuing uh, another term? Well, it could have something to do with the fact that he is uh, facing a federal trial that is expected to start sometime in 2023. He faces charges of bribery extortion and racketeering. His wife, Ann Burke, who up until recently was the chief justice of the Illinois Supreme Court, has also stepped away from that post. She um, had uh, someone appointed to her position. That person won't have to run till next time the seat is up. So apparently they are both taking a step back from public life as um, they no doubt get ready to face the feds in court. It's been a while since I looked at the tally, but months and months ago, um, it was reported that Ed Burke had spent over $8 million on lawyers uh, to fight this case that the feds are bringing. And I, I, He has the money because he's allowed to use campaign funds. But it makes you wonder, He Ed Burke spending over $8 million to fight these charges. Think of how many jurisdictions Donald Trump is now fighting. He's fighting New York. He's fighting in Georgia. He's fighting... Not only a defamation suit, but now a rape charge from E. Jean Carroll. New York passed an interesting law. There is a statute of limitation on sex crimes. E.G. Carroll says that Donald Trump raped her in a department store dressing room. He not only denied that, but he called her a liar for saying that. And she filed a defamation suit against him. She couldn't. The the incident happened too long ago to file rape charges, but she could go after him in court for saying that she's a liar. Interestingly, if Donald wanted to disprove her charges, she kept the clothing she was wearing that day, the clothing that has traces of semen on it. All Donald Trump has to do all he has to do is give a DNA sample. If indeed he didn't do what she says he did, the DNA should clear him. Um, but he has declined to do that. So anyway, the state of New York recently passed legislation that adult survivors of sexual abuse that ordinarily would not be prosecutable because it had passed the statute of limitations, they are for one year opening up that statute of limitations. And people who say they were sexually assaulted 10, 20, 30 years ago, they have one year to actually file charges. She's not the only person to take advantage of this law. I was just reading that there was a former CEO of a company called Apollo. He doesn't lead Apollo anymore, but a woman just used this new window of opportunity to bring rape charges against him. So in the state of New York, women are paying attention and they are acting on this. So long story short, not only does Donald Trump face defamation charges from her, he faces rape charges now. If Ed Burke is spending $8 million to fight one case, what kind of money is Donald Trump spending? He's got lawyers at Mar-a-Lago who apparently are just there to keep an eye on things. Uh, he's got lawyers all over this country fighting various cases. I mean, it's the legal bills have got to be staggering. We are going to uh, talk a little bit more about Ed Burke and his situation currently and his legacy When we are joined by Good Government Illinois' David Orr, right after this.
0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Every weekday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. on WCPT 820. Jonas Pizzito, live, local, and progressive. The
3: reason that I listen to you from the infamous other side, you will call a spade a spade, and if it's indefensible, you will not defend it. And you know what? I can respect that. I'm
0: WCPT 820.
1: Well, uh, David Ord told uh, Andy Miles back at the station he was glad that we were playing the news. He had a couple more minutes to watch the end of... Of the World Cup game where the United States was playing Iran. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Mr. Orr, but the USA finally won. Uh, and it was that same one to zero score or as they say, what is it, one to nil uh, yeah. as it had, was most of the game?
6: Uh, yes, they won just a little, just 10 seconds ago.
1: Uh, well, it's going to be interesting now. um I don't know anything about this. Does this mean, is this sort of like a sudden death thing? Does this mean Iran goes home or does Iran keep playing? And I ask only for political reasons because, as you know, they've gotten into hot water because of their protests.
6: I, I'm, not, I'm not 100% sure. I think what this means is the U.S. Uh, goes ahead. I think mean, they go to the next round because uh, they get three points for victory. Uh, And I think they had one point for a tie, so that'll get in four. And Iran that had three will be stuck
3: at three.
1: Okay. Well, I I don't understand any of that, but I'll take your word for it. Uh, Paul Shivari just (laughs) texted me that the United States is going to be playing against Saturday, 9 a.m. Chicago time, against the Netherlands. Um, The Netherlands
6: Netherlands is very good, so uh, it'll be a exciting game. They're good, but um, you know the U.S. has a lot of these young, scrappy players, so pretty exciting.
1: Well, I'm glad you're excited. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. Sh- yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I'm not sure that I share your excitement, but I can uh, I can appreciate your excitement. How's that? How's that oh, for good. threading the uh, needle?
6: Uh, well, remember with with the Bears and the bulls having a problem, uh, Sox and the Cubs. <laughs> this is kind of exciting.
1: Well, you mean you have to you have to look for sports victories. Where you can find them these days?
5: <laughs> I think so.
1: Well, I wanted to start off talking with you about the big news of Ed Burke, you know. Ed Burke, he didn't ever say he was or he wasn't going to, but he sort of signaled that he might file. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that he had people out there gathering signatures for him. So this must have been a decision that was made in the fourth quarter, if I can use a sports analogy. What do you think?
6: I, I think, like, well, again, since anything can happen sometimes, he wanted to go ahead and um, have petitions ready. You never know, maybe they even had some idea how the other people were doing, but I'm not surprised. I do think if he ran this time, he'd lose, and I think that would um, harm his arrogant way even more. Um, So, yeah, I just think it's good riddance. But Uh, Chicagoans,
1: I mean, he was he was (laughs) he, he may not have been under indictment, but he was certainly under a dark cloud. Last time he ran and he won handily. And when people in the ward were asked, they were like, you know, why did you vote for this guy? He's who's potentially about to be indicted. And they were like, you know what? He takes good care of us. Who cares? That's always been kind of a Chicago attitude.
6: Well, again, it is. Chicago attitude is clearly true in a sense of those people who say it. The problem is, who's the us? Um And he's kind of the epitome of the old machine. I mean, there were good folks in the old machine, but he's kind of one of the worst apples because his constant accumulation of power and wealth was for himself. Now, sure, he'd give people's jobs. Yeah, sometimes he'd use clout to have his street plowed three times when surrounding people couldn't. So. Uh, If you're an insider or you benefited from his judicial picks, many of them were terrible, or from the people that got jobs that didn't work or the businesses that, you know, got an upper hand when they shouldn't have. You know, then you're in the inside game and you like it. But the vast majority of Chicagoans were hurt by it. Um, And remember, he wasn't even very, very good on finance. Remember, uh, you know, we built. Yeah,
1: he was head of the finance committee for a while there.
6: Well, for almost ever. He was there of the finance committee up until recently. And so he he was there when the finance committee nearly bankrupted the this, uh, this city with a crazy parking meter deal, which lost us hundreds of millions of dollars, and the tollway deal, which lost us millions and millions of dollars, and uh, a lot of hanky-panky with TIFFs. Um, and of course, then Workman's Comp um, is a, was an agency under forever under. Uh, Burke's office even even when I think times at young Daly and Emanuel wanted to get rid of them they couldn't. but now that workman's comp which is very important uh, we're doing it for much less money than we're doing when Burke was German so uh, like I say and uh, everybody's explain, got everybody' explain
1: I don't on. understand what you mean what the workers comp thing is. explain that in more detail if you would.
6: Okay Workman's comp is a big thing in the city of the society of Chicago, okay? People file claims for all sorts of things, you know? And uh, unlike other cities, they had a council committee in charge of that. And Burke always guarded that, okay? And it seemed, at least to me, that Burke always spent way too much money for this, okay? And uh, the insiders i talked to over the years, I said, Burke did what many of the machine hacks do. You basically find ways to elongate the process. Make things take longer. Make sure there's more middlemen involved. And so if there's middlemen involved, it takes longer. And then other people get to make money off this process. So, again, the public... Like
1: lawyers, you mean? Like lawyers in the process?
6: or uh, people just get hired for a job because they're going to investigate the claim. Not all lawyers, but a variety of different skill sets. Um, But for whatever reason, uh, one of the good things, at least Lightfoot did, is um, take it away and give it to a separate kind of executive um, responsibility. And uh, I think that's been a great benefit. But uh, again, everything he touched, um, like I say, um, <laughs> a lot of people may not know what a fetch it bill is, but I, I, I think of Ed when I think of a fetch-it bill. And I don't want to say he's all bad, but uh, a fetch it bill is when you make a lot of noise about something. Remember, he used to talk a lot about air quality. And so when you're as powerful as Burke, you make a lot of noise, and then all of a sudden, those powerful industries that think, oh my God, what, is, what if it clamps down on us? All of a sudden, the campaign contributions come streaming in. And of course, uh... nothing ever happens with the bill, but that's a fairly common deal for unfortunately too many politicians. And that's why we call it a fetch it bill. <laughs>
1: You w- was were you and Ed Burke uh, in the city council at the same time? Because I know he was. I think Absolutely. he was first elected when he was twenty four. He was probably in the city council with everybody that we can think of.
6: Yes, and he. I think he was around twenty four. He was a young cop, and his father had passed away. who Had been the, I think he was the word committeeman first. Very young, very brash, um, and yes. So he was there when I came in in nineteen seventy nine. So. The entire time that I was on the council for nearly 12 years, Ed Burke was there, and I I, I got to experience him both when Byrne was mayor, so before Harold Washington, and then I was with him when um, you know he he and Vildorac led the opposition against Harold Washington, and then I was there for the last I guess year well yeah year and a half under Daly. Uh, yeah, he
1: was one and of Eddie. the leaders of. Remember the Vydolliak Twenty Nine.
6: Well, yeah, he—he he and Vydolliak were the leaders. History.
1: Fast <laughs> um, Eddie.
6: that yeah. yeah, well, well, Fast Eddie refers more to Vydolliak, but um. Yeah,
1: well, that but, yeah, that was uh, his um, nickname.
6: Um, but people often said Vydolliak had a sense of humor. Um, if you want to hear a story, sure. had a sense of humor. Uh, old politicians have too many stories. So remember, the alliance on Herald was almost all African-American, with uh, uh, three or four whites, um, Larry Bloom, Marty Oldman, myself, and later, after Chewie and Louie were elected, some Latinos, but largely African-American. And, um, you know, Wilson Frost, for those people who don't remember, was a very powerful alderman that another city might have been mayor way back after Old Man Daly died in Sixty-seven um, or seventy-seven, I think it was. But they didn't want him. That's when they brought in Bolandic. But so Vodol'yek, sense of humor. He was always the boss of everything. So when we played softball games in Wrigley Field against the state legislators with Governor Thompson pitching that kind of thing, Vodol'yek uh, was always the boss. He was always a uh, the star. He <laughs> he was the coach. And so in very quick. Everyone was saying, uh, Verdolia. Uh, other people are saying, I want to play, I want to pitch. He told everybody to shut up. He said, let's get real clear at the very beginning. The only two blacks playing are Frost and Ore. Um, <laughs> and, and that was a, a dig because I was on
5: terrible mm-hmm. side.
6: But he, Verdoliak did it with a sense of humor. He could charm your socks off. You could be totally against him, but he was amazingly and, and charming in some ways. Um, Burke was always the really kind of nasty one and very racist and encouraged a lot of the worst parts of the city council. Um, but, you know, like so, yeah, he plays a good piano. Uh, give him credit for that. He'd do that at the... the okay.
1: Well, I guess that's good at <laughs> finding something nice to say about somebody.
6: Yeah. Well, I know it's in the paper. I just got back into town, but I know it's in today's paper. Some of the aldermen I would consider kind of on the wrong side of the future, help praising him and blah, 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 blah.
1: You know, <laughs> well, you Joe to... Moore, you know, was was quoted as saying something like, you know, he's probably going to go down in history as the most powerful alder person the Chicago City Council's ever seen.
6: Well, again, he may, he may be one of the most powerful. Keene, if he lived, could have been more powerful. Keene went to jail, but he was, uh, a very powerful figure, so yeah, certainly powerful, influential, but if you say those things, but you don't also continue, maybe Joe said of a nobody paid attention that most of his power was used to hurt people and to amass unfair riches for himself but far, one of the most important improvements in the last few years was the legislation under under Lightfoot two thousand and nineteen When they took away this horrible conflict of interest that many aldermen for years had been doing, while they're city councilmen, they were representing major firms against the interests of the city of Chicago.
1: I want to uh, hang on a second. We need to take a break and I want you to talk about that in greater detail. I'm speaking with good government Illinois David Orr. We're going to be back right after this.
0: Can't listen to Joan Esposito. Surely you can't be serious. Live, local, and progressive in your car today. I am serious and don't call me sure. Don't fret. You can still listen to her on the TuneIn in app on both your phone and computer. Whoa. You feel that right away. Oh. It's just refreshing. Because facts matter. You are listening to WCPT 820. This is Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive. On WCPT 820.
1: And I am joined by David Orr from Good Government, Illinois. We are talking about the fact that the longest-serving alderman in Chicago history, Ed Burke, did not file any signatures, did not file any petitions. He will not be on the ballot uh this coming election. And um we've talked about the fact that he is facing, I believe at least fourteen counts, uh, including uh, sh- what a shaking down of fast food restaurant, um federal indictment going after him for bribery, attempted attempted extortion, racketeering. Uh David Orr served in the city council with Ed Burke and was talking about, um, some of the things that he and other alders used to do um, that to work against, basically, the city's interest. David, explain it better than that.
6: Yeah, um, one of the worst things that I've experienced over the years, an enormous cost to taxpayers, is the conflict of interest that few cities allowed. Let's take an example. Okay, Remember, Ed Burper was saying before, a very powerful alderman, he was chairman of the Finance Committee, Okay, and at his time, there wasn't a separate finance committee and budget committee; there was just the finance committee. Okay, so that meant he had enormous power over everything financial. Well, Ed Burke also one of his clients was United Airlines, and I could go on and on. Trump, Trump, Trump I mentioned all all the powerful groups. Well, that inherently is a conflict of interest, but we could never do anything about it. But uh, Lightfoot's 2019 ethics ordinance basically said aldermen and city employees prevented them from representing private clients in cases that, quote, could affect the relative tax burden on residents. And, you know, it basically, it's, it's, I was just really surprised because I had been giving hope that that would ever change. It's kind of the same thing when the Madigan law firms represents powerful commercial interest on, on the tax issues, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you, you wouldn't find many places. You wouldn't find things in New York. And you find corrupt people. But here, it was actually legal. So um, that's something that Ed and others did a, on a regular basis. In fact, it relates to the charges, crime, the, the charges against him. He was so arrogant that you know he basically wanted everyone to to use his law office for things. Mm-hmm. You, know, you raise a lot of money like that. It's one way of getting clients. You kind of put weight on them, and he was very offended if some people didn't get the hint. <laughs> um, anyway, some things have changed, and <coughs> excuse me, this is a good one. Another good one is, um, you know, what FitzKagey did, and that was to stop uh, taking any money from the hundreds of attorneys that represented people in the assessor's office. And then he uh, another good step in the right direction was the reformer elected to that very dark place called Board of Review, a woman named Samantha Steele, she has now... A promise to do the same thing, not take that money. So, um, you know, there's some good things that are coming out of all this, but many people suffered from the financial hijacking from some of the old machine.
1: Well, I wanted to, yeah, um, I wanted to talk to you about that situation with Fritz Keggy because, you know, people were holding him to account for the fact that, you know... Um, You know, it was supposed to be, you know, he was supposed to make sure that businesses, particularly what's downtown, got taxed at a fair rate to ease some of the burden off of homeowners. And then homeowners saw their property taxes go up. And as I understood it, part of the problem was that these big buildings and these big companies were going to the Board of Review and getting their Fritz Keggy assessments knocked back down again. Is that what you saw happening?
6: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what's been happening. And the good news, and, and the fact that you're referring to it, um, is that recently there was several stories. Okay. Now this has been a hard thing to explain because the border review, this is all the same creation of our friends there, including uh, Madigan and others, that you, you create these scams where the only people who get hurt are average citizens. Um, you know, the lawyers can make a lot of money at the party benefits because those lawyers give a lot of money to the party. Um, but the little guy, it's heard all the time, particularly uh, minority property owners. So, um, what the uh, recent studies did, and the trib is sometimes, and cranes all talked about, for example, uh, there's a famous you know, the famous post office building, those who don't know Chicago, may know that when you when you drive down the expressway into Chicago, you actually go under what we call the old post office. Um, that's very valuable property, but Fritz, for example, Fritz Kagey, the assessor, said that property was worth uh, $871 million. Now, the Board of Review on Appeal said it was 619 Now, that's almost a 30% reduction. And I could go on and on with several examples. Trump Hotel, they cut what Fritz had analyzed should be the assessment, cut it by 31%. That is real money. And so so I want homeowners to understand that if commercial rates get dramatically cut, the homeowners pay the difference. If the border review, which is a very dark place, too, (laughs) if the border review, well, seriously, and that's why it's there, it's quiet, people understand it. If the border review hadn't done that, that most uh, regular homeowners would not see an increase in taxes or be about the same, but because of what the Board of review did in their last analysis, these are just some of the highlights of it dramatically changed all that, which is the point you were just making. And what I consider the good news is uh, now that the elections are over, I think the media who was not quite sure what to think of some of this stuff because there's very powerful people on the other side uh, giving various explanations. And the good news, I think they're beginning to understand. And if I might go one step further, because this is one of the things that um, good Governor Illinois is working on uh, fairly consistently, is that, um, and, and let's say, yes, you know, so we assessor makes mistakes, the Board of makes mistakes, not all, you know, not, not evil because you make a mistake. But one of the things the Board of Review has consistently done is not updated its computers like everybody else. Like when I was there in 2015, all of us, the assessor, the clerk, um, you know, all the various agencies agreed to go into a new computer system to, you know, get modern times. Everybody's done that but the Board of Review. And the reason that's so important, and I do think that's going to come up and we might be able to change it now, is so important because you have to have transparency. In other words, we should all be able to say, wait a second, well, here's exactly why Fritz said this was worth $871 million, and here's exactly why... So-and-so said it was worth $619 million, okay? Mm-hmm. But because the Board of Review never did that, we're comparing apples and oranges, and they've consistently refused to update it. Uh, and I think the sometimes editorial made reference to that. So I am hoping with that new commissioner, Samantha Steele, when we take office in a week or so, we'll start pushing to say, hey, wait a second. We have to catch up like we promised in 2015. We should all have the same data. And then we can battle whether or not Fritz's definition of obsolescence is the same as the Board of Review.
1: But uh, Samantha so- Steele is just one one person on the Board of Review. Uh, can she accomplish change on her own without the support of the other members?
6: Well, n- good point. There's only three members, okay, and it's a fairly hidden. Group, people don't really know them well. Um, But the other new person, there's two new ones Larry Rogers, who's kind of the old schemer. Um, But the other new one is George Cardenas, you know, the alderman. And, And George tends to be a bit of a traditional politician, but he's elected to an office and he's young enough to want to have a future. So what I'm banking on is, and I think he said some things that he thought they should move ahead on this. So it's possible that we do have the two votes necessary. Um, But what I what I'm trying to do and talking to you and the work that we do is if enough people know about this uh, and realize that their taxes are going up because of the work of the Board of Review and George hears about that, I don't think he's going to want to protect the old way, you know, Mm -hmm. but we'll we'll see. But I think we have a decent chance of making now, Okay, partly because Fritz was reelected. The old guard that fought against them, you know, they lost. They put up a good fight, but they lost. And the reason I keep talking about this is because, you know, you can elect a congressman, you can elect an alderman. There's few things that would have the incredible influence of changing this. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of homeowners would benefit. Uh, the ripoffs that we've had would be significantly minimized. Um, if, in fact, we could get the whole this tax justice system uh, to work better. And I I believe
1: we can. Well, it'll be interesting to watch George and see how he votes going forward, uh, because as we've seen and as you (laughs) as you very subtly pointed out, you know, some people uh, get to elected office because they're really passionate. They're reformers or they want to accomplish something. Um, But oftentimes, I mean, let's face it, people in elected office are indeed human beings. And especially if they like the position they're in and they want to be reelected, they have to be aware of the decisions they make and the press that they get, and the people who publicly support them and the people who publicly trash them. So um, right. whether or not he was born a reformer, um, maybe, maybe in the interest of self interest, you're right. He will provide that second vote. Right, and lots
6: of kind of climate that I think. I mean, even going back to the last election and see when 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 people vote and uh, when people's views are known, nobody wants to see these ripoffs. Yeah, if you get a special deal, maybe not, but no one wants to see all the ripoffs. They don't want to see people working in government and not really performing or contractors hired and don't clean the schools like we've seen in a number of major contracts. Nobody wants that. But what's changing, I hope, is gradually that power of the machine that you could, it's kind of like Trump. You could do whatever you wanted because no one could ever touch you, okay? Like Burke. He could do whatever he wanted. No one could touch him, okay? That's changing, Because the old machine is much weaker than it was, and increasingly people, um, you know, what what do you want to call it, progressive or other words that it's hard to really define sometimes. But the fact is there's more voices out there now to say, wait a second, we want to see how the public benefits. And that's our job. The more we can get that out there, the more likely that George Cardinals and others, I think, will do the right thing.
1: We've got to take a break, David Orr of Good Government Illinois. We will continue our discussion right after this.
7: Listen to the Tom Hartman radio program every weekday from 11 to 2 right here on WCPT 820, where facts matter.
0: Attention, everyone. Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820.
1: And I am joined by Good Government Illinois' David Orr. We were talking about um the new people who are going to be seated on the Board of Review and what that might mean. What, bottom line, hopefully down the road, it'll mean that we get a break as homeowners because uh, if the corporate companies can't go to the Board of Review and get their assessments knocked down, at least not to the extent where it has been, then they will be picking up more of the tab. Uh, David, before we get completely away from the subject of Ed Burke, I wanted to uh, talk with you about the uh, two people who are um, left, essentially, in in what is going to be uh, this aldermanic race, this Latino majority ward. Um, I don't know how to say uh, her first name, J. Lu? Y- Yelu Gutierrez. Do you know how to say her name? I'm
6: not 100% sure, so I'll go by Madame Gutierrez.
1: <laughs> there we go. Let's both go by Madam, <laughs> Ms. Gutierrez. <laughs> it's J-E-Y-L-U, which is, you know, um, I don't, I've studied Spanish and I still can't figure that one out, so, um, and she's going to be going up against Paul Reyes, uh, who uh, formerly worked with Ed Burke.
6: Right. Right, and uh, uh Liu, I I will pronounce it properly, has the support, I believe, right, of uh, Congressman Garcia? Is that correct? Yes. I think so. Yes. And she was also the one that's worked um, for the commissioner in the county named Alma Anaya, who's been a reformer in the Cook County Board.
1: Are you familiar uh, with either of those two people?
6: Um, somewhat. Um, I'm. I haven't made any endorsement. that's what you're asking. But no, I,
1: no, no, no. Just what you know of them or things that they've accomplished? Well,
6: I, I just know that um, I don't know a lot about Paul. I do know that J. Lou has, has a good reputation for the good work she did as chief of staff for ALMA. Um, now, again, usually the commissioner gets the credit for various things that have been introduced. Uh, so I couldn't tell you a lot more than that. Uh,
1: I'll well, uh, explain so, to for, for those people who aren't immersed in politics and the structures, uh, what would somebody who was working with Cook County Commissioner Alma Anaya, what would be the kinds of things she would do? What would be her responsibilities? What did she do? What did she accomplish that makes you say that she did good work?
6: Um, well, Alma, Alma came in as a reformer. I couldn't tell you all the stuff that's going on in the county. I just know whenever we had things, uh, for example, I think she's uh, done a really good job on the budget. Um, She has, um, there's been several of these, uh, both resolutions and ordinances, kind of diversity oriented, um, and making sure that contracts are looked at carefully to make sure there's a proper diversity. I know Alma's been a leader in all that. Now, how much her chief of staff does, I I couldn't tell you. Um, But when you come from, kind of good people, that's a good start. I will. Uh, I, I'm, I'm fortunate. I just can't tell you a lot about um, J. Lou right now because um, I've looked at several awards, but I haven't really paid much attention to this one, partly because uh, um, I didn't know what Burke was going to do yet.
1: Mm-hmm. And because should should I'm sorry, I think I said Paul Reyes. It's Raul Reyes. I, I apologize. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um He was at one time, somebody who worked with Ed Burke. Should we hold that against him, or should we we check that prejudice at the door and see who Raul Reyes turns out to be? Uh,
6: I think it's always fair to be uh, objective about it and see that. But generally, what I'm saying is, um, often in many cases, you have a fairly clear choice between the person that wants to see things done differently and the one who... Uh, even if they say they want things differently, if they're tied too closely to the way things have been done. So the, the key questions I'd be looking for um, is, you know, not what he says now perhaps about Burke, but where's where's he stood on a number of the key issues over the years? Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, I wouldn't condemn anyone without knowing uh, more about that uh, because of the connections to Burke. Uh, but my, um, my guess is like... Um, Who did he support in previous elections? Who did he support in some of the adjoining wards um, and even the state rep and state senators? All those kinds of things. So,
1: um, you know, David, this is sort of um, sort of related to what we're talking about now on this broadcast. We've talked a bit about how often it seems like when there is a vacancy that um and you know none of the big names are stepping forth a lot of times people put forward their chief of staff oh uh, my chief of staff is the one that i want appointed to this seat or my chief of staff is the one who i'm going to support to run in this seat that i'm retiring from why is that
6: well i don't know i don't think that's so common myself but it seems like
1: i say that a lot of times Oh, you know, so-and-so is retiring and is, is backing so-and-so, their chief of staff. Uh, well, maybe.
6: Uh, well, often, let's put it like this. That can be good and bad. Uh, so the key is is what we actually analyze about the person. But a chief of sp- staff is usually a person that one puts a lot of uh, trust in. They have a lot of experience. They understand policy as well as they should be sophisticated in, in how things work politically, etc., they're often someone that is very good dealing with the public. Uh, I, I look over the years, for example, I had some really wonderful chief of staffs. Uh, I don't know if any of them ever run, frankly, ran for office. Um, uh, I've had people who were former elected officials that became my chief of staff. Um, so um, I, it's, it's a, a place of trust and big responsibility. I mean, you know, fairly big if you the chief of staff for a major elected official or um, even an alderman or a commissioner uh but I, again I, I don't know it's so common and the key is whether or not uh in my mind if, if it's fairly independent minded there are people that are truly reformers in some way or or they're just you know um berg's chief of staff I, was, I have a lot of questions about that only hmm. because someone who stuck through through with someone who had that kind of reputation uh, and misuse of things, you know, I think that raises questions about,
1: um, you know, how much well, sometimes are- it raises questions about the legislators judgment. I remember, you know, in the very recent analysis of what went wrong with Mike Madigan's leadership. I mean, a lot of fingers point to the fact that um, basically he gave his staff, particularly his chief of staff, sort of too much freedom and unfortunately, the people chosen for some of those roles abused that. I mean, the staff being accused of sexual harassment and all kinds of bad behavior, that certainly didn't help Mike Madigan in his efforts to continue to be a political powerhouse.
6: Absolutely. And I, well, like I say, I think, uh, you know, I, I don't want to simplify it where there's kind of two, two, two sides, but um, to a certain degree, there is. But yes, if you allow certain things to happen, either because you're kind of an old boys network or you are more concerned about other things, you know, the key deals you're cutting and so forth, and you ignore what has been a lot in Springfield of sexual harassment uh, and even even attitudinal things. You know, after a while, uh, people get really fed up. And fortunately, as we have a lot of fairly outspoken, strong women legislators. So I, I think that had a lot to do with this downfall. I'm not talking about kind of indictments, but just, you know, people got fed up. And uh, influential women spoke up more and more. So, yes, um, your chief of staff is very, very important. If we're kind of getting back to that, that person represents you. Um, I remember when I first started out, another story. First started out, some developer came in and was basically saying, you know, I really want to help with this and I want to give you some money for your campaign. But I, I said, well, 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 you know, we don't, we don't mix those things. You know, if I can help you, it's legit fine. But we don't mix those things. He left my office and he went to talk to my chief staff because he didn't believe he thought I was just playing that game.
1: <laughs> he, he thought you <laughs> thought he was wearing a wire. <laughs>
6: <laughs> no, he just again, he thought, oh, well, you. he may pretend to be like a straight guy, but just like everybody else. So he'll cut the deal with the chief of staff. Um, And, you know, it it takes a while sometimes, particularly when I started out, people didn't believe you. They thought everybody took money under the table and all that kind of, Wow. you know, all sorts of ways. Just, you know, you know, they want (laughs) to contribute before they even ask you uh, what you
1: know what their favor is but Ooh, we need to take a break and I'm going to try to get more war stories out of David Orr he's with Good Government Illinois now but he's got some great stories from when he was uh, in the city council we'll be and back I'm joined with more after by this. Good Government Illinois uh, David Orr who was uh, telling us some of the stories of what life was like in the Chicago city council we're uh, having this discussion because Alderman Ed Burke the longest serving Serving Chicago City Councilperson, I think David, in Chicago history, has um, has not filed petitions. Uh, the five o'clock yesterday was the deadline. Ed Burke did not file any signatures, even though he did have some people out gathering signatures. And, um, he is clearly stepping away from the Chicago City Council. And Ed Burke famously once said, What was it, David? That the only ways you leave City Council is ballot box, a jury box, no. or pine box. Uh, I don't yes, think he, yeah, I, yeah, he didn't, he that. didn't think that anybody would walk away. Uh, re- retirement didn't enter into that famous saying. Um,
6: okay. I'll give it one more story. Dennis okay. Okay, and then we can get on to the things. Okay, so remember, uh, this goes back into the, the time when um, I think Carol was mayor, and Burke, of course, was chairman of the finance committee. Um, um, earlier, I had been teaching uh, um, at Mundline College, and uh, Mundline College has started a program for older students coming back. And so, one of the older students in my class actually worked at United Airlines. And uh, when I was going someplace, I was out, out there, and I stopped by her office and just saying hello. And then um, I, I saw on her desk all this stationery, Ed Burke, Ed Burke, Ed Burke. And I said, hmm, what's all that? And I said, it's, and she said, What's well, um request for jobs for people from Ed Burke. And I said, hmm, well, what do you do with them? And she said, what do you think we do with them? He's chairman of the finance committee. Um, and, what did she mean? She meant, um, okay. She, she meant, of course, they're going to honor these requests for jobs. As chairman of the finance committee, he could destroy United Airlines. He could do anything and cause him enormous grief. And that's earlier when we were talking about how we stopped some of that conflicts of interest. This is only one of the many things that I saw all those years. So part of it was contra- This had to do with jobs. Okay. So you've got favorite people, and again, they had been very well qualified. But the point is, it's kind of like I always compare it to the mob. You know, if the mob sends you a letter, can you take care of this guy? Do you feel like you have the freedom to say no? And could, could they at United Airlines have the freedom to say no uh, to mm. Ed, Anyway, anyway, so it's just one of the many things about old school. I mean, unfortunately, it still happens in in some areas, but um.
1: How much of that do you think is still going on? If you had to guess,
6: well, there's there's still more more going on in Chicago City Council than there is in, in the other place of the country. And there's certain parts. Sometimes we forget in some of these smaller towns and all that. There's quite a bit of it too in um, some of the rural areas. Um, yeah. So I mean, it's there's always people going to try and win favors by their connections. Okay, and that's why. When you run a big city or a big county or stuff like that, you need to put as many uh, roadblocks as possible to make it much more difficult. And over the years, problem is the people like Burke, who are considered, you know, sophisticated lawyers, they found a way to make more money than anybody else. I'm not talking about their personal money they made, but in their campaign finance. So he'd have six, eight, $10 million in his kitty is, you know. Uh, political kitty. Others might have 30,000, 20,000. And so many of the people that I knew over the years went to jail in Chicago city council, but they were just taking a, you know, $500 bribe for this or that. Whereas the sometimes the more sophisticated politicians realize the key is to campaign contributions and given mm-hmm. what the court has done to destroy um to destroy so many things we believe in terms of campaign finance reform over the last 30 years. Um, it's easy for people to get so much money this way. They don't have to uh, – well, that's why it's crazy that Burke even did what he was alleged to have done because he, he still raises so much money just through what's what we call legal. I find it outrageous, but the what is considered legal in terms of campaign financing.
1: Were you surprised um, at the reports? We all know by now, of course, that uh, Denny Solis wore a wire. But um, I haven't read a lot of the details about the case, and I was kind of refocusing on it since the news of his um, stepping away from the city council. There were 90 video recordings of meetings um, that... um, Danny Solis gave to the feds and in the Burke case, they say they have thirty four thousand thirty four thousand recorded phone calls. I found that just jaw dropping. Is it is that a testament to what a big fishy is that they really wanted to make sure they had their ducks in a row? Like, combine my animal metaphors there.
6: Maybe well, it's it's kind of a, a maybe it's a testament to that, but it's also, uh, at least put my spin on it. Not the feds. Is that what else was the, these people doing in their day? That's what they did all the time. They cut deals. I mean, in other words, uh, that's what always bothered me about. Let's say some of the Ed Burks in the world is, what are people doing? things to help people? Yeah, you could you could have this powerful people plow the streets, you know, and make sure something gets fixed right away, a traffic light or something. But what were they doing to really help people? Um, and all their time was this deal or that deal, this person or this person. Because remember, when you did this old school stuff, that even even Burke sending stationery to uh, people at United Airlines to hire them or uh, all this stuff just took time, okay? Uh, yeah. yeah, I got calls from Madigan uh, over the years to promote people madigan was always very professional madigan never went over the line anything with me but he might call and say hey so-and-so's been there 22 years uh is he in line for any promotions um i was lucky because i didn't uh uh, i was pretty lucky that they couldn't defeat me so i I didn't feel like i had to do anything that i thought was improper uh a lot because
1: you weren't in this down in springfield
6: No, no, I just, I meant, I'm so much luckier, and maybe that's why I mouth off so much. In other words, (laughs) they couldn't couldn't beat me. Uh, Remember, that short stint um, after Harold died, unfortunately, the short time I was mayor and the publicity around it, it gave me something that uh, few people had. It gave me enormous name recognition that was, from what I now know, looking back at some of these things, you know, 90% positive. So what that meant is even when the machine, of course, didn't like me and they uh, worked against me, but I easily won when I ran for county clerk. Uh, what I'm saying, so many politicians don't have that, quote, freedom that I might have had, because mm-hmm. no matter what they did, they gave me a hard time. They could attack me, but they couldn't really beat me. And that's not the case. And you were saying earlier, you know, people, you know, you don't know. You don't, um, up your noses at people, but the bottom line is other people that have to feel more of a risk, they are more intimidated by these power politics. And like I say, when you go back to recordings, it, think how much time was spent, you know, talking about deals in one way or the other. Now, we don't know what all this stuff said. The, the only bad thing about your reporting all these recordings is how this delays the trial over and over again, because, you know... I think some of us are going to be in the grave before anything happens.
1: I don't know. I'm hearing 2023, <laughs> <clears throat> sometime next year. That's when it's happening.
6: Uh, but it's, it, I, I know. But it's, we'll see. We'll see. It seems like all the all the powerful figures they get to delay it until they're almost senile or have a physical problem, and then they delay it further. Um, anyway, there's way too much slow justice um, for powerful people, but.
1: Well, you know, that is that is something that we have seen up close and personal with Donald Trump. Donald Trump knows how to use the legal system as a weapon. He you know, he goes after people who go after him and he has his lawyers file extensions and delay after delay after delay. Um, and, you know, it does seem like there's you know, you want people to get a fair shot. You know, you want people to be able to appeal or, you know, if your lawyer gets ill, you want to be able to have a delay. But how do we prevent people from abusing that system?
6: Well, the only thing that I can tell you right now as a non-lawyer is for judges, and some of them have done this, but not many, to to, to do what they're supposed to do. This is frivolous. There's a lot of frivolous, frivolous things in the courts. Okay, And sometimes they do it. And uh, it's been a couple of recent cases that's happened with Trump. But when they know it's clearly frivolous, they're going to wait to the last possible day, file something, blah, blah, blah. But at some point when there's so little merit to it, some of these judges need to speak up harder and faster and boom and not give them as much time because the whole goal is. It's to delay, delay, delay.
1: Well, um, you know, that did happen in Donald Trump's case recently where he was asking right. for a delay. And the judge was like, no, you got till you got till next week. We're doing this next week. And if you're not ready, That's you know, on. like it's on you. Um, yeah, but you I, don't. I that, but that right. makes news because it happens so rarely, David.
6: I I agree. It is too rare. Again, um, you know, the, the legal system, uh, we can praise it and we can uh, see the abuses and the bottom line is those who believe in that system, et cetera, be, need to be doing as much as they can to deal with all these inequities. You can't just let people do this over and over and over again. Um, but it's hard. I mean, um, like I say, there's all these issues going on. There's several other aldermen in cases and, you know, and their, their health is a factor. And, you know, those, those are all tough decisions. Um, so I, I'd love to see things move more quickly. But uh, let me mention, since I, I, I really couldn't tell you a lot about those candidates in the 14th Ward, you know, I'm just beginning to review not so much the candidates in municipal elections, but uh, we are good government are working on like the issues. What what could we try and throw out there that this is what we're looking for from candidates, from whatever awards you're running for? And we'll be doing more of that. So I'll hopefully have more information about some of those candidates as well. But I I really want to see, particularly with some of the reforms we need, like on campaign finance um, environment and a variety of things to see if there's things that we can properly explain and try and figure out where all these various candidates are. And as you know, we politicians can be pretty difficult to nail down. So that was partly our goal (laughs) is to figure out, you know, what they really what they really support and what they don't.
1: Just um, as a calendar note, I, uh, do you have any town halls on the books that we should promote?
6: Um, not quite yet. I will have that podcast we talked about before, likely within the next two weeks. Um, there's been various delays here and there. Um, and this is a, a podcast I'm doing with Congressman Jan Schakowsky. Um, talk about, not to the election that's passed, a lot of analysis, but what, are, what do the Democrats do in Congress now? Okay, mm-hmm. and probably a little bit of sound, What do they do where they just do not have the power? How how can they try and maneuver things? Can they find some Republicans that can be helpful? Um, basically, kind of behind the scenes. What can, what can they do to govern and protect Biden to a certain degree and to push the agenda uh, while the Republicans are in charge?
1: Well, great. When you get that, when you and Jan get that up and running, we'll have to make sure all of our listeners know. Maybe you could come back and do a real quick interview to promote it.
6: Yeah, that's probably a week and a half. So um should do okay.
5: that then.
1: OK, uh, OK, that sounds good. Thank you, David. And uh, thank you for being here and uh, talking about. Well, we didn't really talk about too much about good government, Illinois, because we got stuck on Ed Burke. But uh, we will uh, once you get this podcast up off the ground, we can talk about we can talk about that. Uh, so please uh, come back.
6: It's always fun. Thank you, Joan.
1: Thank you. David Orr, Good Government, Illinois. We are going to take a break for news and be back with the lovely David Huckberg right after this. This hour of Joan Esposito Live, Local, and Progressive is brought to you by Team Hochberg. If you want to buy a house or refinance a house, call 855-56-DAVID or visit 56david.com.
0: Joan Esposito Live, Local, and Progressive on WCPT 820.
1: Uh, just got word on the Twitterverse that the Oath Keepers trial... Jury has reached uh, a verdict. The judge, Amit Mehta, said, we've received a note from our jury that simply says verdict reach. The oath keepers, of course, uh, being charged with seditious conspiracy. This just happened. Uh, the judge just made this announcement about five minutes ago. We will um, keep you updated. Um, the um, defendants are not in the courtroom. Everybody is apparently just sort of um, filing back in right now, we will let you know what the verdict is. After three days of deliberation, they have one. Uh, until then, we are going to be talking with the lovely and talented uh, David Hochberg. I sent him a bunch of articles to read, and he sent me a couple of articles to read. The only problem is I don't understand the articles that he sends to me. David, how are you today?
8: Well, neither do I. I was hoping that you would read them. Oh, and,
1: uh, yeah, right.
8: talking about on the radio.
1: There's one article that you sent to me that you said this was really important for our listeners. And the title is FHFA announces the elimination of fees for certain first-time bar- buyers and others. I don't even know what FHFA is.
8: Federal Housing Finance Authority. It's basically the um, the organization that oversees Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. and makes the rules kind of and enforces the rules. And essentially what they came out with recently, which is huge for your listeners, is that they eliminated all of the loan-level price adjusters, which is, for lack of a better term, uh, a tax when you buy a home. It impacts the rate for all first-time home buyers. And here's the key. The definition of first-time home buyers, according to the FHFA, is anyone who has not Owned a home within the past three years. I don't make these up, Jones. They so don't get upset. Owned up or here. bought? That's the day.
1: Because I like, bought my house like 15 years Own. ago.
8: Owned. Owned a home. Oh. Owned a home.
1: So, so if 10 years ago I bought my house and then I sold it, and for the last five years I've been living in an apartment, I would qualify as a first time home buyer.
8: You're now a first time home buyer. You just have <laughs> to be in that situation 36 months, at least 36 months. You now qualify as a first time home buyer. If you meet the, um, the average median income level in this area, which for somebody that's single for most of the listening area is around 85 grand and married, it's $105,000. A lot of moving hoops and a lot of moving pieces here. The bottom line is this. If you haven't owned a home in the past three years, 36 months, you qualify as a first time home buyer. And if you qualify on in the income part of it, give us a call. We'll see if you qualify. You could get into a home right now and save yourself about anywhere from a half a point up to a point and a half, two points in the interest rate or thousands of dollars in closing costs in order to get a certain rate because the FHFA has eliminated all of those barriers for first-time home buyers. Why okay. are they doing this?
1: let me let me let me back up make sure i understand i'm a single person um i have a median income my income's 85000 which you said was the median so if i make that or less uh i haven't owned a home for 3 years so i qualify on those two counts when you say adjust the points so if i find a 6% mortgage this um, what they're doing could knock it down to a 4% mortgage is that what we're saying
8: no 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 no, no. I'm no.
1: sorry I'm confused
8: Eventually, if if you're a single here I will use your example if you're a single person buying a home and hasn't owned a home in the past 36 months you qualify as a first time home buyer you make 85 84 85000 or less you qualify to take advantage of this program right? This program enables you, if you have a 660 credit score, let's say, and you only had 5 or 10% to put down, your rate would have been 7.5% because your credit is not really good, and it would have cost you probably thousands of dollars to get that 7-some percent loan. Now, all of those barriers, you're not getting penalized because you're only putting 10% down. You're not getting penalized because you have a 660 credit score. And if you meet the income qualifications, that means you essentially, instead of being in at in the sevens and it costing you thousands of dollars, you could get a rate in the sixes and, and it won't cost you thousands of dollars to get that rate. This is a huge game changer for for, for everyone that falls under that category of a first-time homebuyer. So here's another situation. Let's say two people are getting married, right, or, or want to buy a home together, and one person has owned a home before over the past three years, but but one of the parties hasn't. That's still considered a first time home buyer because one of the party that are buying the home hasn't owned a home in the past three years. Okay, why are they doing this the most important thing. The real estate market over the past 11 months has been slowing down, slowing down, slowing down. And the real estate market part of the United States economy it, it is twenty percent of the United States economy in one way, shape, or form. Right? Either you're either you're moving or you're hiring a realtor, you're hiring a mortgage professional, you're going to a bank. You need painters, you need electrician, whatever it is. Title companies. A lot of the economy, twenty percent of the economy revolves around real estate in one way, shape, or form. It's fat. So when you're not having first time homebuyers getting into the game here, because the biggest barrier of entry. Is the cost to close or the interest rates are too high? This stimulates the first time home buyers, which does what? It enables those who currently own a home to now put their home on the market because there's a greater demand and go buy another home. So it's a domino effect. So this is really a game changer. And a lot of realtors don't know about this. A lot of real estate attorneys don't know about this. And a lot of first time home buyers definitely don't know about this. And if anybody wants more information, all they got to do is give me a call and I'll be more than happy to run them through what this means.
1: OK, as part of this article, it says that um, FHFA is eliminating upfront fees for home ready and home possible loans. OK, right. what the? So, I assume home ready means the home is there. I want to buy it. But what the heck is home possible? No, no. I think I might want to buy a home. Ready.
8: All right, stay in the journalistic lane, and I'll <laughs> stay in the mortgage lane. Here, the home ready and home possible. One Fannie Mae, one Freddie Mac. They basic. It's basically a program that is um, that will enable those with the average median income of eighty percent or less, okay, which is at eighty-five thousand dollars, okay, to qualify to buy a home with only three percent down, and the the barrier to entry there the cost to get that loan has been waived so again this is a huge deal for first time home buyers with limited down payments to get that meet the ami the average median income in the area to get into new homes right into a home to buy a home to buy their first home you haven't owned a home in the past 3 years i know it sounds goofy but that's again that's the definition so if you were if you were discouraged about buying a home because of the interest rate, and you're a first-time homebuyer, now is the time to get back in the game because all of those costs have been removed and enables you to secure a much lower rate than you would have been able to secure over the past 11 months of this year.
1: So this is a way to encourage people to buy a house, people who may have said, oh, gosh, I'm just going to sit back and wait till rates come down. Um, because I, one of the articles I sent you said that the Fed is saying that you know they they feel that they've gotten such a great grip on inflation that maybe in 2024 they'll start bringing interest rates back down again. Yeah. So which this is a program 12, to get people months to months. to move now rather than later.
8: Correct. Right. Because it eliminates the barriers. And again, a lot of the listeners don't have 740 credit scores. A lot of the listeners, trust me have 660 to 680 credit scores. If you have a 660 to 680 credit score and you go to buy a home today, you're going to get absolutely obliterated on the interest rate. And this, because the the lower your credit scores, the higher the interest rate. Okay. So this eliminates all of those, all of those penalties of having a lower credit score.
1: If you're buying a house as a married couple, is it, do they take the credit scores and add them together and divide them by two, or do they take the highest credit score? How does that work?
8: That's a great question. Okay, so each borrower has three credit scores, Equifax, Experian, TransUnion. Okay, and what and what lenders do in order to calculate the rate, to figure the rate is, they take the middle of the two credit score of each of the borrowers, and then they take the lower of the middle scores govern what rate you get. So it's the lower of the middle credit scores that, 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 governs the, the interest rate that the borrower gets. So if you, if you've got one borrower seven, seven eighty, seven seventy, seven sixty, and then you got another borrower six eighty, six, uh, six seventy, six sixty, the pre- prevailing uh, credit score in that transaction is going to be the six seventy. Now the six seventy before this program came out, you would have been in the sevens and paid thousands of dollars in order to get that rate because of all the rate adjustments with the 670 6, credit score. Now it's under this new program as first-time home buyers, You don't get penalized for having a 670 credit score. It's the same thing as having a 770 mm-hmm. credit score, and you get that same lower rate.
1: If it's you were advising 50, a married couple and let's say one one of them had a 750 credit score, the other had a 650 credit score, wouldn't it make more sense just for whichever one has the better credit score for them to buy the house in their name only?
8: Sure, sure, but, uh, but sometimes you need both incomes, right? Sometimes you need both incomes in order to qualify. In this case, right, if you need both incomes, the, the 670 credit score in this example is not going to penalize the 770, right? Without this program, if the 770 was strong enough, right, income-wise, you throw the saddle on that borrower and and you just take it over the hill with that borrower because that's the strongest horse. But a lot of times, due to the higher real estate taxes within the state of Illinois, right, you need two borrowers in order to get over the hump, right? So that's why it a lot of the income, right? It's 85 grand for, it's 84, 85 grand. If you're a single borrower, it's like 105 grand for married borrowers, a lot of moving pieces, but this is a huge opportunity for somebody who hasn't owned a home in the past three years, or if at least one person, the part of the transaction hasn't owned a home in the the last three years, right? Because sometimes you have situations where somebody's getting out of a a previous relationship and, and they, and there was a home involved, right? Mm -hmm. And they don't call As long as one person hasn't owned a home in the past three years, that couple, right. Is categorized falls under the category of a first time home buyer, which is huge right now. And what's going to, here's my prediction going forward. As I said, all year, you got a better shot of seeing four than you do two, and then a better shot of five, you know, before you see three, you know, I, I've been saying that all year, right? You got a better shot of seeing six mm-hmm. than you do four. I think what you're going to see is, actually, I know what you're going to see is, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHAVA, continue to tinker with the loan level price adjusters. Instead of doing HARP 1 and HARP 2 like they did after 08 collapse, you know, to get us through that disaster when home values dropped anywhere from 40 to 80%. They're going to start doing these little tinkering things here to encourage and and entice people to buy, you know, listeners and consumers to buy homes and to make it easier to refinance homes because there's still a ton of equity in in, in our listeners' homes, but try to access it right now. It's a little challenging due to the rates. Mm -hmm. So that's what I I envision next year is that these low-level price adjusters, Fannie and Freddie, are just going to be playing these – these these, you know, I don't want to say games because it's not a game, but it's it's actually the game changer. You know, they're going to loosen up the rules to help to the try to. Yeah. The housing industry, you know, yeah. to help the economy get up and running.
1: So again, <laughs> um, David, we
8: economy revolves around real estate.
1: We are way, we are way past time. Uh, I need to take a break. And But before we go to break, we do have the verdict in. Stuart Rhodes, the leader of the Oath Keepers, has been convicted of seditious c- conspiracy. One of his four associates, Kelly Meggs, also convicted. Uh, the three other associates have been found not guilty of seditious conspiracy. But the leader, uh, Stuart Rhodes, and his lieutenant, Kelly Meggs, have both been found guilty of seditious conspiracy in the January 6th uh, situation. We were going to take a break and be back with more right after this.
0: Take Jonas Pazito, live, local, and progressive with you on the go by using the TuneIn app on your phone. Just search for WCPT. 820.
3: Hey Chicago, I'm Rick Smith, host of The Rick Smith Show. And I want to hear from you every weeknight from 8 to 10 p.m. right here on WCPT AM 820. Call in and be heard as we focus on the issues most important to working America. The Rick Smith Show, where working people come to talk. Weeknights 8 to 10 p.m. right here on WCPT AM 820, home of Chicago's Progressive Talk.
0: This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. Don't turn that dial.
8: A dangerous mistake to make.
0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Returns right now on WCPT 820.
1: And I am joined by David Hochberg, who... um, was just explaining a new what do we call it, a new program? Does it have a name? Like if somebody wants to buy a house, do they ask their realtor, well I want the Wachabacuchi um program?
8: No it's not so much a program, it's just it's just a loosening of the loan level price adjusters, which for lack of a better term, are are expenses. So banks
1: already know about this. Banks, everybody, well, like you go, you're a first-time home buyer, Somebody's going to say to you, oh, by the way, there's uh, these new rules that you qualify for.
8: Yeah. I mean, we basically went to all of our uh, borrowers who we wrote prequalifications for. And as the rates kept going up throughout the year, it's just been a, r- a runaway freight train since January with the interest rate started at 3 peaked out in the mid sevens, and now we're in the high sixes, low sevens now. Um, we, we circled back to all of those borrowers and said, hey, you know, it, it, here, here's where you'd be today without these loan level price adjusters, which is essentially a tax, for lack of a better term, to buy a home, right, on on the interest rate. It's an adjustment on the interest rate. All of those adjustments have been removed. And, you know, let's if you could qualify now in the mid sixes or low sixes, Let's go buy a home, right? Because they didn't qualify when it was in the sevens uh, due to their interest rate. Uh, I'm sorry, due to their credit scores. So this is a huge game changer for any realtor out there who lost opportunities because your buyers got priced out of the market due to the increase in the interest rates over the past 11 months. You know, Contact me or another lender to, to look at your options and see if your buyers have have uh, have options now to buy a home.
1: David, I'm confused. There was reporting uh, on CNN this morning that said that uh, the survey that reveals consumer confidence, that's down. Consumers are not confident. And yet and yet on Black Friday, there were over nine billion dollars in sales recorded. Cyber Monday reported more than $11 billion in sales reported. And even on CNN, they were saying, well, people say they're not confident, but they're buying like there's no tomorrow. Is this just another example of the fact that surveys and polling can't be counted on, or is it something else?
8: No, it just goes to show you that when these big box stores, okay, are putting out unbelievable sales because their inventories are so bloated, they haven't been selling as much as they have in the past, they're trying to get rid of their inventory for the end of the year. So they've made uh, opportunities available for consumers who don't necessarily have the money, The The other article I sent to you, Mm -hmm. the record number of increase in consumer debt that our listeners and other consumers are putting on their credit cards. So all because your seeing these huge numbers from Black Friday and Cyber Monday and and all of these things, it doesn't mean that the consumers have the money to pay for it, right? And I've been saying that for the past three, four days, and I finally heard somebody, I don't know if it's on the radio or on TV, say, yeah, it'll be, it, it'll be interesting in 30 days to see the um, credit card balance numbers, right? If, if these sales are supported by people, Consumers that are paying cash or if they're throwing it on their credit card. My guess, just because of the trend that we've seen, because the debt's been going up on, on American consumers on their credit cards, is at historical levels that most of these, of these purchases aren't being done with funds that are readily available in our listeners or American consumers' bank account. I mean, just look at the savings levels. at at credit unions and banks, they're down. You got more money going out of banks than you do going into banks and credit unions. It's a fact. So, yeah, it's great that Black Friday, we had record sales, and on Cyber Monday, we had record sales, and on whatever they're calling Tuesday, you know, I'm sure there's got to be a name for every day that we have, or, you know, whatever it is. I think when you start doing a little forensic audit on this next month, and you see credit card debt skyrocket even higher. And then what happens in January? Two things happen in January. Number one, the number of bankruptcy filings shoots up. And number two, the number of divorce filings shoot up. Okay? So Ugh. that's what you to keep an eye out for. How much credit card debt balances have gone up? And, and, my, and my prediction is it's going to continue to skyrocket all of these sales while it's great and the consumers are getting great are getting great opportunities to buy products at 20 30 40 percent off whatever the number is and 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 manufacturers are able to and, and and these big box stores are able to unload their inventory which is great for them because they don't have the expense of carrying all this inventory anymore but then the flip side is can the consumers pay for these goods that they're buying and the answer is my prediction is absolutely not, and then we're going to have a bigger problem because then the Fed is going to look at that and say, "Oh, spending hasn't curved yet, so we're going to jack up the short term interest rates even more
1: okay i that- I want to talk to you more about this we 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 have to we have to stop right here for a break uh because uh, this is something that I think is a really important to spend some time on. Plus, we have at least one caller who wants to join the conversation. David Hochberg and I will be right back after this. Information is power. Stay
5: informed to know what's going on. Staying informed gives me the power of knowledge. I wake up. I need to know what happened. I turn on the radio. Because information is power. WCPT 820.
0: Where facts matter. Don't turn that dial. A dangerous mistake to make. Jonas Esposito Live, local, and progressive. Returns right now on WCPT 820.
1: I am joined by David Hochberg. We are talking about inflation and rate hikes and also credit card debt. He sent me an article that said that household debt soars at fastest pace in 15 years as credit card use surges. So all of this shopping that took place on Black Friday and Cyber Monday, uh, you think people are running up their credit cards um, to a level that perhaps is too high for their income?
8: Yeah, well, I know that. I mean, it's just common sense, right? Because you've got that information was from the prior month, right, from, from October. So if, if, if the American consumers and our listeners are having challenges through October, and, that's, and this article was written in November, right, so they're reporting on the previous month, and then they're going out and having a record black Friday and cyber Monday. I and mean, what do you think they're doing? It's not like, they, you know, all of a sudden they're going to pull a big steamer trunk. I, I, out from under their bed and start paying for all this cash. Right. The, there are such good opportunities out there. because Again, these big box stores have got a ton of inventory because the economy has been slowing down and people haven't, and the American consumer hasn't been spending money. So, What did the big box stores do? They just discounted the heck out of everything to get it off of their shelves and into consumers' homes who can't afford to buy what they're buying, and that's why. But the
1: consumers are motivated to buy because they say, "Oh, look, they've got X at a discounted price, and I've been wanting an X for a long time, so now seems to be the time to do it."
8: Sure, I mean, look at those great boots, or look at the jacket, or look at the. Look at the car. I mean look I don't know what's out there right I mean you know look at the pants look at the shirt look at the blouse you know it used to be 200 now it's it's 75 or maybe it's it's still 200 but you buy one and get one free so it's really 100 right the mm-hmm. the manufacturers and the big box stores they are trying to dump their inventory because they don't want to have it on their books so they'd rather give it up for half you know at 50% than pay the carrying costs of having all the stuff sitting on the shelf because they, they know going into January that it's going to be worse than it is now, right? So they're trying to create momentum going into the holiday season. We will have this conversation at the beginning of January if you invite me back, if I don't upset anybody at WCPT <laughs> and I get invited back A, at the beginning of the year when all this information and all the data from December is released, and we're going to have the same conversation. It's going to be even worse off than you were. And the other challenge is, the Federal Reserve Chairman, Powell, has already said, "We're you know, we're not done raising rates. And all of the Fed presidents throughout the United States, I think there were three or four of them that were on the record in the past week, who said, we're not done raising rates. So the party that everybody thinks is over and that inflation is in check, check yourself, it's not. And we still have some, some adjusting to go. So now what the American consumer is doing, what? jamming up their credit cards even more. And now you're going to have another interest rate increase. So the minimum monthly payment on the debt that you were carrying prior to adding whatever debt you just added, because of all these wonderful opportunities out there to buy at a discount, a number of stuff that you cut not afford in the first place is now going to cost you more to cover the minimum payment because the short-term rates are, are going to go up, which means the rate on your credit card is going to go up. It's a vicious cycle. Until people stop spending money on stuff they don't need to survive, the Federal Reserve is going to continue to be like, okay, you want to play the game? Let's play the game. Here we go. Here's another three-quarters of a point increase. So that that's a vicious cycle of bad that we're on right now.
1: Uh, David, we have a caller. Uh, Mitchell is calling in from Des Plaines to join our conversation. Hello, Mitchell. You're on with me and David Hochberg. Go ahead.
5: I- Hey David. Um, first of all, good to hear from you. Um, I'm just living the dream. Um, I like to bring your attention to the following. First of all, you're 100% correct. The credit card companies are making money hand over fist because we have basically people that don't understand the supply, supply and demand. If right now, if you're carrying on on your APR on your credit card, you're probably looking at 19%. And Based on your narrative, which is very accurate with regards to, you know, spending habits with consumerism during the holidays, that balance is not going to get anywhere near its principle. So you're looking at 26%. Now, you forgot one big factor when it comes to residential properties. Property taxes, Daddy O. The second installment never came because we have a ridiculous governor that purposely in a, an election cycle, he Basically, delayed the second installment, which should have been in August or September, for one good reason, to get reelected.
1: Now, for those idiots. Okay, Mitchell, I just you know, I work so hard to keep David calm. And now, Mitchell, you're getting you're going to get David all fired up. So let's let's stop right here and let's talk about what you've said so far. Um, I wasn't oh, yeah. able to really, David, follow Mitchell when he said that a 19% credit card rate was going to turn into 26. I didn't follow that math. Did you?
8: Yeah, because what what Mitchell was saying is the short term rates have gone up over three points in the past um, 11 months. Okay, so we're up three points. So yeah, you know, so 19 went to 22, uh, 22, 23, and they're talking about the Fed's talking about increasing another point, point and a half, two points before they feel that they could get inflation under control. So essentially what Mitchell was saying is what I said earlier is that the minimums that that our listeners and the American consumers are carrying on their credit cards, the minimum monthly payment just to cover the interest on it is increasing because the short-term interest rates are increasing. I do disagree with, I do disagree, respectfully disagree with Mitchell on the real estate tax bill in Cook County the governor had nothing to do with that.
1: Yeah, was that was a the second point,
8: right? Of Tony Preckwinkle, Fritz Kage and Larry Rogers in the um, triokia. There, you know, you know, you know, the triangle between the assessor's office, the 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 um, the board of review, and the and the madam president's office, because you know, Fritz Kage couldn't explain why he couldn't get the information over to Larry Rogers at the board of review for, until four months late. And then he went to the witness protection program and won't take any interviews with anybody. I invited him on, on my show and others invited him on their show. And he's still yet to be found. You know, a, you know, an elected official has gone on the witness protection program. A Democrat running for a county seat was afraid to take a, a, a microphone. Big set of stones there, Fitzgagy. Nice job.
1: So. so yeah, but uh, but I was just talking to David Orr earlier. And part of the problem with Fritz Kagey is that he's been undercut by the board of review, regardless of what he does, the board of review undoes it.
8: Okay, so then Fritz Kagey should get in front of a microphone and, and explain that, not hide behind David Orr. Okay, I think Fritz Kagey ran from well, all the golf. Actually,
1: David, I, I, I didn't place. invite Fritz Kagey. I, I should. You make a good point. Should. I should, I sh- should. I should no, get him. I should get him on.
8: Question.
1: Okay, make me look bad, yeah, Mister Hawkberg What's that? You're making me look bad. I should have invited Fritz Kage right, on to I'm talk about this.
8: Ben, I'm just saying that, listen, Fritz Kage and, and Larry Rogers have got their own set of challenges, right? They don't. For, from what my r- research has found, they don't like each other. But you know what? I don't need them to like each other. I just need them to get the freaking tax bill out in time. And like our friend from Des Moines said, now the tax bills are out. Now you got to pay them before the end of the year. Then you've got, thank God, that the student loan payments got kicked back until all that nonsense works its way through the courts, if it's legal or not, okay? So President Biden kicked the student loan payments out to June, or else that would have hit. And then you got your credit cards hidden. Oh, and then, by the way, your first installment for next year's uh, real estate tax bill in Cook County is due on February 1st. So thank you very much, you know, Madam President, for getting involved for two people who – Work underneath you, two elected officials who can't get along. It's just a mess. It's an absolute joke.
1: So, well, Tony Preckwinkle said know. that the computer system that caused a lot of the delays is going to be fixed, and everything is back on track. Um, before we, okay. I, I, you know before what? we go into this anymore, we have more people who want to join the conversation. I want to try to get right. some of these calls in. Right. Uh, Steve is calling right. from the Gold Coast. Steve, you're on with me and David Huckberg.
7: Uh, Yes, I think a guest raises an important issue with regard to Americans going back to using credit cards a bit too much. I mean, during uh, the the COVID crisis, you saw, uh, you know, uh, incomes actually go up and you saw people start to pay down their credit cards. Part of the reason having to do with that was, quite frankly, you know, what were you going to buy anyway? You know, you couldn't go anywhere. You didn't need to shop for much. So, you know, what money you had coming in, you could actually do the responsible thing and pay down your credit card. But now that the world has sort of returned to normal, people are, again, spending. And you know, not always thinking uh, about what that means down the road, especially as, as interest rates go up, because if, for an entire generation of Americans, they have not seen interest rates uh, rising this fast. Uh, you know, because that they were they were accustomed to these three, four, five, six percent, you know, mortgage rates and this sort of thing. Those of us old enough to remember the 1980s remember when you know you go in and you get a 15 percent loan, you thought you know, that was a great uh, rate on a on a 30 year mortgage. And so, you know, uh, like I said, this is, this is uh, very complex. And I will say that with regard to uh, credit cards, I had a friend who asked my advice on this. And uh, her credit card company, one of them was offering a balance transfer offer for 3% on the 20-plus grand that she owed and for 18 months. And I said, you know what? That's not the worst idea in the world. I mean, for 3%, they'll transfer this, and you have, you're paying 0% uh, interest on that for 18 months. Now, if you're sure you can pay it off in 18 months, great. If not, they're hoping that you're going to be on the hook for a lot of money at the end of this if you can't pay it off. So it's about using the system, not letting the system use you. If you're disciplined enough and you have the resources, there is a way to play the credit card game.
8: And, and there, but it, 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 I just want to add one thing. I, I agree with, um, with, with what this caller said. The challenge with those credit card transfers is it's like musical chairs. Number one, at the end of the 18 months, you better pray that there's another credit card that you could transfer whatever's left that you haven't paid off, as this gentleman just said, whatever's not paid, what what our listeners don't know, you get whacked for the interest on the entire balance that you transferred over if it's not paid off in full. So if you don't have a place to move that to another credit card at a 0% or low interest rate score, right, then you're going to get absolutely walloped. The other thing that our listeners don't realize, I don't know if the listener realizes either, is, is that the minimum payments on that 0% or lower interest rate transfers are twice to three times higher than a normal credit card payment would be because that credit card that you transferred the balance to wants their money back quicker. So it's a double-edged sword. I agree with the caller. You just got to know what the minimum payment is, and you better have a chair to put your butt on When the music ends in the 16th or 17th month to transfer whatever balance you haven't paid off to another credit card, a lot of our listeners who were around in 08 and 09 know that how painful that felt during during the credit crunch of that time because there wasn't a place to transfer the credit card balances to, and a lot of our listeners got absolutely destroyed with, with interest payments because there wasn't another place to jump off to. Does that make sense, Joe?
1: It does, and I want to. I want to continue our discussion about credit cards when we come. I'm talking to David Hochberg. We're going to come right back after a break.
0: You're listening to WCPT eight twenty because facts matter. Don't turn that dial.
1: A dangerous mistake to make.
0: Jonas Esposito, live, local, and progressive returns right now on WCPT eight twenty.
1: And I'm joined by David Hochberg, and we have been talking about credit cards. David, obviously, if you are somebody who travels for business and you fly Delta all the time, maybe you want a credit card that gives you Delta miles or access to Delta lounges. But outside of an obvious connection like that, how do you pick what is a good credit card? You know, both my kids are are young. My daughter has yet to try to get her own separate credit card. And I don't know how to advise her. I don't know to say. Well, do you do you look for a low rate? Do you look for do, you know if there are perks in case they fit into your life? What what rules do you follow when it comes to credit cards?
8: I got American Express, and I've got a Citibank. Um, I got American Express, and I got a Citibank Visa. Not that I wanted a Citibank Visa, but I, I got a Citibank Visa because I shop at Costco, and they only take. You know, Costco Visa cards there. Okay, so what do I recommend? You go where you shop, right? If you drive a car and you put gas in your car and you drive by a Shell, a BP, or a Speedway, or whoever the heck else is out there, and you and you can get ten cents off a gallon of gas because you use it, you got to look at that, right? If you drive mm-hmm. a lot, okay. If you if you enjoy traveling, right? If you enjoy flying, and you got one airline, if it's Delta, United, American. Then you or or Southwest has got a great affinity program. Use that. Or listen, some people like shopping, right? I'm not a big shopper, but some people like shopping, right? You go to Macy's, Nordstrom's, or Victoria's Secret, or Abercrombie Fitch, or whatever, you know. The, and you get you get uh, discounts off of socks, underpants, blouses, and and jeans, and coats, or whatever you want you got to pick what you want. Interest rate is obviously a huge factor in whatever card you choose. If you're going to carry a balance, I don't carry balances on my credit cards. I just use them for convenience. If I can't afford to pay it for what's in my bank account, then I don't buy it. Right? I learned that at a very young age. I got burned very, very young, and I'm like, I'll never do that again. So if I can't afford it, I don't buy it. Now, you know, there are some people out there going, that's why I got a debit card. Well, a debit card, that's great. You're not getting any credit on your credit scores using a debit card, okay? And if you see Frank Abagnale, the guy, catch me if you can, he'll tell you that the debit card is the biggest sucker bet on the planet. Yes, Really? Because you only have 50. Yes, yes. Uh, There's a video of Frank Abagnale. I always mess up his last name. The guy from the um, Leonardo DiCaprio movie and Tom Hanks, catch me if you can. There's a video on, uh, of him saying that you, once you learn how to use other people's money, the credit card is the best financial tool you could have as long as you don't abuse it, right? I mean, listen, the greatest thing about the debit card is this. If you've got $15 in your bank account you try to do a debit for $20, you are going to get declined because they're not going to let you take out more than what's in the account. Well,
1: my daughter, right? who but- also who has a debit card, also found that sometimes there's a limit. Like if she's going shopping, like the third or fourth time she tries to use the debit card, it'll be refused because it's like, oh, you know, we only allow like three debits a day. And she's like, what?
8: That's a safety protection against against fraud. So I applaud the bank. But your daughter needs to know that. That's why having a backup credit card is is, is very valuable. Now, listen, the credit card companies, if they see a wacky, um, a wacky charge for something, they'll, they'll send you a text. I've had it, right? I made a purchase for something. I don't know what the heck it was. It was out of the ordinary of my buying pattern. I'd sent a text. You know, they'd send me a text. Please call me, you know, our fraud department to confirm a recent purchase. I'd call in. And, and, and a couple of times it was fraud, and they called it for me. And, and another couple of times it was me making an unusual purchase out of my normal buying pattern right? Which I'm very thankful for, right? I get the text, Mm -hmm. the link, the link takes me right to the 800 number. They're doing their jobs protecting me. I got no problem with that, right? It's another three, four minutes out of my life confirming that I'm not getting drilled by some scumbag who's trying to take my credit card. And then there's other times where I'd have to cancel the credit card because some scumbag somehow got a hold of my credit card number and then out comes a new credit card the next day in the overnight. So you got to be very careful and, Look up that Frank Abagnale video, Why Not to Use a Debit Card. And I think it'll it'll open up a lot of our listeners' eyes. What about fees? Like,
1: you know, I also have an American Express card, and I have, like, the cheapest American Express card that you can get. And I'm always getting these envelopes. You can upgrade. You can upgrade to the American Express You know, super double, platinum, triple, but it's going to cost you $500 a year. And I'm like, you know, I don't get it.
8: Well, listen, it uh, depends on your spending pattern, right? So I charge all of my radio advertising to my credit cards, right? I get five times the points up to a certain level if I put on whatever I put on, right, on a certain card. To me, it's worth it. To make that extra three to four, $500 investment in having that card because I get the rewards down the road. That's just something for me. It's not for everybody, right? So I know that American Express has got the Platinum card, and it lets you into all of the airline, um, you know, the United Club and the Animals Club and, and the American Express Club. It gets you entry into all these things. If you're a traveler... Right, it might be worth it for you to spend the. I don't even know what it costs to get a platinum card three hundred or five hundred dollars.
1: I don't know. I get all on. these things from Amex all the time, and it's there's different price points.
8: Yeah. I know there's so many Safi. There's so it's many. It's so customers. confusing. You just be careful. Right here's what I'd recommend: you have one Visa, one Mastercard, one American Express, or you have one Visa or a, a, a Discover. Right, because now Woodmans. If you want to shop at Woodmans, they 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 only take discover in cash. So depending upon your buying pattern, if you're trying to establish credit, it's good to have three different credit cards. If you don't have a car loan or a car lease or a mortgage, right? Hmm. So if you don't have a car lease, a car loan or a mortgage, open up three credit cards and pay them off every Friday if you can. Right. And then, then all of a sudden you'll start having an explosion, of big credit card application party in your mailbox. That's when you know that, they, uh, that you're established because now everybody you're 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 on the grid, and everybody wants to give you their credit. You take it, throw it right through the shredder, or or you rip it up and throw it in the recycling bin.
1: Um, so I have to a big right. shout out to Andy Miles back at the studio. He found the link to that video <laughs> that you were talking oh, about. Yeah. That F- Frank um what uh, whatevs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, he he said, "Oh, here's the link. If you want to tweet this out to your followers, Joan." So that is exactly what I am going to do. Yeah. It may take me a couple of minutes because I am uh, technically slow, um, but I will, I will get that link out on my, on my Twitter, or the Twitter that I still seem to have despite Elon Musk, um, at Joan Esposito, <laughs> C-H-I. And I will tweet out the he link to you. that YouTube video that David was just talking about. Thank you, Andy.
8: He hasn't turned you. He, Elon hasn't canceled your account yet. He hasn't turned you off.
1: Um, he has not yet. I'm. I think I'm too small a fish for Elon to to take notice of uh, so far. I've been kind of keeping my my head down.
5: Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. He only really goes after the people who go after him personally. You know, people who make right. fun or of him or head and, head and and. Or um, I do all my when I make fun of him, I do it all on the radio and I don't know that he's a listener. So I'm 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 kind of safe. I feel like I'm safe. Maybe I'm not safe, but Uh, I feel like I should be safe. Nice job. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, well, you know, I'm sorry. I went on uh, so long about that, that we are out of time, young David. Um, So, yes, you say that um, in January we're going to have a reckoning. And I absolutely want you to come back on, and um, we will analyze that and tell our listeners what's the best way to navigate it.
8: I appreciate that, and I I want to wish you and your listeners um, a happy and healthy holiday season, whatever holiday you uh, celebrate, and uh, thank you for the access and then allowing me to share my thoughts and knowledge with your listeners this past year. It's been
1: great. You are always one of my favorite guests uh, to have on the radio, Mr. Hochberg, and um, it's. I feel sometimes like we're kind of co-anchors of this show, um, especially when you yell at me, which I adore. <laughs> uh, by the way, folks, he, uh, he he gives me grief in email and other formats as well, so I don't want you to think it's just the radio. Um, have a great holiday, David.
8: You too, my friend. Have a great day. Goodbye. Thank you.
1: Uh, that's going to do it for me. Uh, driving at home with the lovely Padre Vasquez is up next. I will see you tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Stay safe, my friends. Have a great evening. Good night.